Bad Quaker Podcast, where liberty is our mission. Today is Tuesday, August 13th, 2013, and today we're going to have a rerun of uh, podcast number 257 from January of this year, January 2013. Uh, The reason you're having a rerun today is because my wife and I are loading our motorhome. We're getting ready to hit the road, heading up to the... um, First annual Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest up at Brighton, uh, Michigan. And so we're going to be up there for a little over a week and uh, have a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll record a few podcasts up there and get them out. Now today's podcast, like I said, is a rerun. And in it, I make several references to Facebook. And for uh, everybody that's been following along, I have been Facebook free now for something like almost two months, three months, something like that, since around the time of Porkfest, whenever that was. So uh, I'm not actually on Facebook anymore. There is a Bad Quaker uh, Facebook page that's run by our moderators, and I really appreciate the hard work that they do in keeping that up. But uh, uh, So you'll hear me referencing Facebook in today's podcast, and just keep in mind that uh, this is from January of 2013. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. I listened to it a little, and, and, uh, and I thought it was still very much up to date. So enjoy today's podcast. Thank you very much. Today is Thursday, January 10th, 2013. Okay, now, uh, speaking of Facebook, I wanted to touch on something that I saw over there and, um, you know, it really, uh, kind of, it plucked my, sp- my strings, so to speak. But, um, but, uh, you know, uh, okay. So I'll set this situation up. Uh, I have a friend on Facebook who I don't know very well at all. I, I have met her in real life and, uh, we went camping with a bunch of other friends together. So I know her. She's a really nice person. She's not real political, um, she's, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that they know something is wrong with the system. They also know that there's nothing they can do about it. So they don't invest a lot of mental energy and a lot of time to try to f- figure out all the ins and outs of what is wrong with the system. They just realize this whole thing is messed up and, uh, and there's nothing I can do about it. So they don't put a lot of their, you know, they don't invest a lot of themselves into learning all the ins and outs of politics and, and learning, you know, because for so many people, especially in America, I'm sure it's like that in other places too, but especially in America and to a certain extent, I know it's that way in Canada, you you just feel like there's nothing you can do. One, The voice of one person is so small 
and the whole system is rigged so that your voice is completely powerless. And they lie to us about democracy, and they lie to us about voting, and they lie to us about having a voice and all that. You know, it's, it's pretty thin. The lie is pretty thin, and a lot of people see through it. And a lot of people know that there is really nothing you can do with these people. There's nothing you can do with the government. There's nothing you can do to change the system. And so, um, so they don't waste the mental energy pursuing uh, knowledge of politics and pursuing you know, what they can do or what they should do. They'd prefer just to not think about it because there's nothing they can do anyway. And that, in many ways, that's a very logical position to take. And I envy people who are able to just put it out of their mind and say, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I wish I could do that. I wish I could put this whole mess out of my mind and never think of them again. But unfortunately... I can't. So, but anyway, so so this lady is like that. She she's a very intelligent person, but she just really doesn't want to spend the kind of mental uh, heartbreak uh, that's going to come with knowing more and more and more about politics, and then realizing there's nothing you can do about it. But um, but she put a little rant on on Facebook, and she said she she put right in the beginning. She said, look. This is non-political. I'm not trying to start a political discussion. I just am frustrated, and I want to say this rant. And then she went on to say that um, now she's a professional in the medical in the medical industry. She's a, a very skilled and a professional in the medical industry. And she says um, if she was jobless and if she was on Medicare, then she would qualify for a free home testing kit for the condition that she has, for the medical condition that she has. But since she has a job, and what she calls, she referred to as private health insurance, which I'll get into that in a minute. There's really no such thing as private insurance in America nowadays. But anyway, um, uh, you know, because she pays for her health insurance is what she's really trying to say. Because she's not on Medicare, because she pays for her health, in, her health insurance, and because she has a job, she's not able to get a home testing kit, she's required by her condition and by her insurance company to go to the doctor once a week and get a blood test. Now, imagine yourself having to go to the doctor once a week and get a blood test. And you say, well, why why can't she just get the home one? Well, because, you know, doctors are very limited on what they can, what kind of uh, prescriptions they can write. They're scrutinized constantly by, you know, by government interference and through the insurance companies and all these other aspects and their own insurance companies. Um, you know, the doctors, uh, 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 malpractice insurance companies, they're constantly, uh, everything the doctor does is looked at by all these people. And so there's uh, a very strong motivation for the doctors to behave and obey the way they're supposed to with the system. And one aspect of that in her situation is that she has to go to the doctor's office every week and get tested, whereas if she was on Medicare, they just give her the, the, the testing stuff so she could do it at home. And this was very frustrating to her. And, and here she is, a professional in the medical industry, and she sees this kind of flaw in it. And it's very frustrating, but she understands there is absolutely nothing she can do about it. It's out of her hands, and yet she's forced to live with this. Um, now, as you start going down through the Facebook, uh, through the, the, the uh, responses to her post, you start seeing the typical responses. You have 
you know, political people on the left and political people on the right that are friends with her that are saying, oh, this is Obama's fault or this is this is Obamacare's fault. or And the others are saying, no, no, this was under Bush. You know, this came from Bush interfering with Medicare. This is because Bush, uh, you know, did all these things with Medicare. And then the others are saying, no, the system's been messed up for years. It's well, you know, the problem is, again, and I say this pretty regularly, but you're seeing a problem. You're seeing a specific issue of the problem, but you're not seeing the root of the problem. And this is what, you know, Thoreau talked about striking at the branches and that uh, for for however many have said, like a hundred that are striking at the branches, uh, one might realize the root and strike at the root. Well, um, to take this in a slightly different direction, but but yet in the, in, you know, in context, it's really kind of the same thing. Um, a different friend of mine on Facebook is an EMT, works with an ambulance crew, and uh, goes out on, on ambulance runs. Uh, that's what he does for a living. And um, and through him, whenever he posts on something on Facebook, you know, it, it pops up an alert to me that, oh, he's posted on this, or he's commented on that, or he liked this, or whatever. So through having him as a friend, and, and he, this guy gets it. I mean, he, he is... Um, uh, he's one of us, so to speak. He really gets it. He understands the problem with the state, and he understands the problem with all this whole system. But anyway, uh, he had commented or liked or something, uh, a, a comment by someone else. So so what I'm about to read for you comes from the other person. It doesn't come from my friend. It comes from the other person. Anyway, so this person says, um, uh, the person speaking is also an EMT who works on an ambulance, and he says, uh, and I don't even know the gender of this person, so it may be a he or a she, I'm not sure. But anyway, he says, uh, I can make the call and administer, and he named the drugs, X, Y, and Z drugs. He says, I can administer these drugs, and uh, and any one of these can be a lethal dose. Any one of these is a powerful enough drug to kill somebody. And he says, or I can make the call and administer any of these drugs. And he names off several different uh, drugs. And he says, any of these can be so powerful in the wrong dosage that they can put a person into a permanent coma. Now, I, And he's saying, you know, speaking as him, he's saying, I can do these things. By law, I can administer drugs of that level just because I have evaluated the situation and decided that I need to. But, he says, I'm not able to tell someone, someone no, I'm not going to give you a ride in the ambulance to the emergency room. Take some NyQuil and leave me alone. He's not allowed to do that. Between the laws that govern the ambulance uh, uh, attendants and between their insurance company that wants to keep them from being sued and the policies of the hospital that wants to keep them from being sued and all the pressures from all these different directions, he, he is not allowed to analyze someone to look at the condition that they're in and realize, you know, this person just wants, you know, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but there are people who call an ambulance, who call 911 and get an ambulance and, and a rescue squad to come to their house because they're lonely or because they're having a fight with their boyfriend or because their wife is uh, irritating them or whatever. They want attention in some way, and they will waste the time of an emergency crew to come out to their house and evaluate them and haul them to an emergency room and do all of that just strictly for attention. And this guy is really frustrated with this, and he says, I can administer this level of drugs by my decision alone, but I can't tell somebody, you know, uh, toughen up, Nancy, take some NyQuil and go to bed. 
he, he can't tell him that. He has to actually put him in his ambulance, take time out of his day, take time that he's not going to a real emergency and actually saving somebody's life, and, uh, and waste his time hauling somebody to the emergency room because they're lonely or because they're afraid or because they you know, just need attention or whatever. He can't do that. And it's because this system is so messed up. And again, it's really easy to look at this stuff and say, uh, and it's not just the medical industry. I'm picking on the medical industry because those two comments were on Facebook, like, you know, inches apart in two separate feeds. One of them didn't see the other. They were totally different, uh, uh, you know, unrelated to each other. But people can see this, not only in the medical industry, you can go into any industry in, in especially in modern America, you can see these problems. We're, we could be talking about the, you know, the auto industry, the airplane industry. We could be talking about um, any anything uh, where the you know the banking industry, insurance, and uh, different levels, auto insurance. It doesn't matter what uh, what aspect of society, government, uh, goofy government regulations. The, the the silliness of the fascist system that we have where the corporations uh, are so married with the government that regulations are designed to monopolize whole industries and give businesses certain specific blessed businesses so many advantages. We could be talking about you know some mom and pop operation trying to open up and compete with somebody like Walmart or somebody like that. Going in a totally direction, totally different direction. You know, we've been out um, on the road with the motorhome, uh, driving around the south, seeing the country, and and staying in different uh, RV parks and so forth like this. And the stark difference when you go into a um, a state-run um, park, or when you go into a park that's run by you know owned and operated by a corporation, where everybody in the park is just simply an employee. And the and the difference in that, and uh, to going to a place like right right now, the park that we're in right now is a little mom and pop operation. It's run literally by a man and a woman who live in a house that's on the grounds. And when you pull into the driveway of the RV park, you're literally in the driveway of of their home, and um, and they come out of their home and meet you right there on on in their driveway and guide you to where you want to go and and do the whole thing. And, and the level of uh, friendliness, because this is one industry that the state really hasn't infected the way it has with so many other industries. Sure, there are corporate um, campgrounds and there are state-run campgrounds and so forth. But the little mom-and-pop operations, you know, they've kind of slipped through the cracks. And the government hasn't fully realized that they're out there and hasn't fully come to a, a way to deal with them to crush their industry like they have so many other businesses. Uh, so to, to see a sliver of the free market still existing and to see people um, being able to, you know, just make a living and not have to deal with. But but even on that level, even, even with something like a, a mom and pop uh, RV um, campground, they still have to go to an exaggerated effort to dodge the interference of the government. They, you know, there's still all kinds of regulations that they have to go through, the hoops they have to jump through, you know, um, inspections that they have to deal with to make sure that all of their uh, everything is up to code. And you say, well, all those all those regulations and and being up to code is what keeps you safe, right? No, not at all. 
um, on in almost any industry that you, if you really look at it, what keeps people safe is competition in the market. What gives people the false hope of safety is regulations and inspections. Because it doesn't matter whether we're talking about the medical industry, which I jump back to that for a moment. I might mention that with all the talk of gun control and everything that's going on right now in the media and everything like that, a lot of people are noticing that one of the most common forms of death in the United States is malpractice, is, is messed up um, medical situations where a person dies unne- unneededly. And, and unneededly? Anyway, um, throw myself off by making up my own words here. But but see, and this is one of the most regulated industries. The health industry is one of the most regulated industries with some of the strongest standards of education and of cleanliness and of all the things like that that go with it. And yet, you're most likely to die in those situations being uh, misdiagnosed by something. And so all the regulations and all the hoops that they have to jump through and all the all of the levels of government interference in something like the medical industry does not help. Right here in this little mom-and-pop RV place, we see that the little bit that the government is able to interfere with them, they're able to sidestep it and get around most of it. And they provide a wonderful product and service. But the most heavily regulated things, like the medical industry, are the ones that are suffering the worst, like the banking industry. Nothing is regulated more than the banking industry, and yet you see something wholly corrupted. The um, Okay, well, I don't have time to get into the big scandal right now, the uh, LIBOR or whatever it's called. So I'm going to break for this commercial. I'll be right back. Stick with me. Folks, there's only a finite supply of gold and silver in the world. However, politicians can print paper on a whim forever and ever. Hedge yourself against inflation and a volatile stock market by purchasing gold and silver bullion from Amagai Metals. As inflation gets worse, it will become more difficult to buy gold and silver. So secure your financial freedom today by visiting amagimetals.com. That's A-M-A-G-I-M-E-T-A-L-S dot com. Or you can give them a call at 1-800-882-8496. That's 1-800-882-8496, where financial freedom is yours. And be sure and tell them badquaker.com sent you. Okay, thanks for sticking with me through the break. Um, so I was talking about, you know, that it's easy to see that there's something messed up with the system. And, and you know, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know what I think is wrong with the system is that, uh, you know, the religion of the state. This idea, this religious idea that uh, that government is justified in existing, that... Um, that a small group of human beings can dominate all the rest of human beings, can live off of our labor, live off of, off of uh, our efforts, and tax us for everything that we do. And, uh, and they live off those taxes, and then they decide what laws are, and then they inflict those laws upon us. The belief that that is good, that's what's wrong. That's what's contaminating everything in the system. And, and you're, if you're a regular listener of mine, you know that that's what I say on a regular basis. 
but and uh, you know, and I have a solution for it. Stop believing in the state. Um, be, as more and more people begin to understand what the state really is, that it is a religion, it's a fanatical religion, and that its followers are so fanatical that they will literally kill you rather than let go of their belief in the state. And you say, well, that's, that's uh, you know, you're, you're taking it too far. You're saying, no, no, I'm not. They really believe that. They uh, think about it. If you don't, uh, the simple thing, uh, you, you get a simple violation of something. It doesn't matter what it is. And what will they do? Well, maybe they'll send you a letter or maybe they'll write you a ticket. But what if you don't obey that? Or what if you don't acknowledge that? What if you just say, I- I'm not going to pay your little $25 fine or whatever? Well, then they'll increase, increase the fine. They'll send you another letter. Eventually, if you don't obey, if you don't respond to them in the way that they want you to, eventually they will send a man around and he will have a gun and he will insist that you pay your fine and he will put you in a cage if necessary. And if you resist again, if you resist, he will do anything up to and including kill you if you try to resist this whole process that's backed by the religion of the state. And it doesn't matter what the violation is. It doesn't matter if you're a horrible person who's done a terrible crime or if you have just, you know, planted the wrong plants in your front yard. You're growing tomatoes rather than grass. That's enough. If you violated one of their rules, it doesn't matter how petty the rule is. They, if you, if you, if you, decide that you're not going to obey them, if you decide that you're not going to give them your money, and it doesn't matter how much the money is, $100, $5, $1,000, it doesn't matter. If you decide you're not going to, to give in to them, the end result will be that they will haul you away. And if again, if you resist, they'll kill you. That's what they do. They do it on a regular basis. They kill people for not obeying for growing the wrong plant, for for possessing the wrong thing. They will kill you. This is the religion of the state. And belief that this system is good and that this system is required for society, that belief, that religion, is what is distorting everything, everything it touches, every regulation, every, every level that government touches your life is a distortion into into freedom and in a distortion into what life should be. In in its heart, um, the real thing I wanted to talk about today is uh, is socialism because really everything that we're talking about here with the state, the state, the system that the state uses to inflict all of all of this upon us, the system that we call a government, uh, every single government is based on the principles of socialism. And now some are based more on socialism than others. But the idea that, that there's some kind of collective, uh, collective good or that there's some kind of collective, um, like, like you owe allegiance to this, to this collective group of people who uh, dominate us and rule us, that whole idea is based on socialism. And we have, in, you know, currently they, they call what we have a mixed economy because it's not a, a true socialist economy. Well, of course it's not a true socialist economy. You know how you can tell it's not a true socialist economy? Because we, we can still eat and breathe and, and live. Uh, you know, if, if we had a fully functioning socialist economy, it would collapse on us and we'd all be starving. There would, socialism always produces uh, shortages and gluts. So, um, so the fact that there's a little bit of a 
free market left, not really free, but there there are some exchanges that are not interfered with by the government. This props up the whole rest of the process. But, you know, more and more as people begin to understand um, the evilness of the state and the evilness of government and the evilness of this marriage between corporations and government, as people begin more and more to believe and to understand that everything that they get from the mainstream media is based on lies and distortions and is only being fed to them to, uh, you know, to, to misdirect the, the topic away from the real evil in society, which is you know, uh, this belief in the state. The more people begin to understand that, the more of the economy will turn underground. And as more and more of that economy turns underground, this this belief in the state becomes weaker and weaker. And, you know, and I've talked about this before, but if you take any creature and you, you put it into a situation where it becomes desperate for survival, then it's going to behave in uh, what may seem like very irrational ways. It's going gonna, it's gonna to thrash, it's going to fight, it's going to snap at anybody that gets near it. That's what animals do. Well, that's what this beast, this state, will do as well. As society, as all of us together begin to understand the true nature of this monster, as we start to see what the beast is really like, and we start to pull out of it in every way, just like this little mom and pop uh, uh, RV shop here, RV uh, campground rather. Um, as more and more people are, go underground into the economy and and uh, you know and don't report their income and don't uh, don't issue. Um, uh, you know, uh, receipts for every transaction and don't use a credit card with every transaction. I'm not saying don't use credit cards. I'm saying that as more and more people use means other than the system, you know, uh, approved means, and as more and more of us um, function in the underground economy, the, the, the state itself, the whole mechanism that props this whole system up, becomes weaker and weaker and as that happens it's going to get to a certain level of desperation to feed itself and it's going to get really nasty now and and here's the fun part if we can if we can refer to it that way here's the fun part as as the system becomes more and more desperate as the state itself as this beast that i'm talking about as it becomes more and more desperate to feed itself because remember the state uh feeds off of the labor of all of the rest of us. And as we deny that labor to the state, as we deny the finances to the state, and as, as we deny allegiance to the state, as we do these things, and as, as, as we grow, as more and more people join us and we do this, as we do that, the state gets more and more desperate. But in a sense, when, when we step out of those, these systems, we become less visible to the state. And the people who the state will then um, react against are the people most visible to the state. So, for instance, uh, you know, you see it pretty regularly. Some some cop is investigating some uh, some drug situation. There was actually this is a kind of a I'm talking about a fairly famous event that took place not long ago. Fairly famous within the liberty movement, anyway. Um, there was a cop, and I believe he was in. Uh, Pennsylvania or or somewhere in that area. Anyway, I can't remember exactly. But um, he was investigating a drug ring, and this led him to find out that, in fact, what he was dealing with was uh, agents within the DEA 
and the CIA that are both heavily involved in drug trafficking. And so as his investigations began to reveal that actually the drug ring that he was investigating was the CIA, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything that he's believed through his whole life is all a lie. And, it, and he realizes it. And these people start trying their best to destroy his life and even kill him. And now he's running for his life trying to, uh, you know, trying to expose these guys for what they really are, that the CIA actually is behind massive amounts of the drug uh, trade. And so, you know, uh, my point in that is that this is what the beast does. It turns on its own. It eats its own. It's, it, it eats its own young. Um, that's what it does. It raises these people up. It creates the, the dependency that they have on the state, whether we're talking about you know, welfare recipients or whether we're talking about um, you know, engineers that work for the government or whether we're talking about police or whether we're talking about you know, agencies of different kinds. They become dependent upon the state itself and upon the mechanisms and the belief system of the state. But then when things turn bad, the, the state... Uh, devours the very ones that are the most faithful. That that's what it has a tendency to do, because those of us who are out on the brink, you know, we we understand how e how evil the state is, and we will do everything we can to sidestep it, to become invisible to it, to move away from it, to stay out of its reaches, and and that's the wise thing to do. I used to say all the time. I haven't said it in a while. That uh, you never want to fight. Uh, an enemy on his terms, on his battleground, using the weapons of his choice. And I kind of got called on that the other day because uh, I, I put a um, I linked to a picture in Facebook uh, that was in reference to gun uh, confiscations. And I said, uh, basically, you know, come on, let's do this. Let's dance. If we're going to do this, let's get it over with. And um, and the person said, that's, you know, that's not like you. You say, uh, don't confront the enemy face to face. Um, you know, don't fight Mike Tyson in a uh, uh, in a in a ring. Come up behind him with a board and smack him in the head. That's the kind of things I've said in the past. You don't want to you don't want to fight your enemy according to his strengths and according to your weaknesses. You want to draw the enemy into a place where you're the strong one and you've chosen the time and the method and and uh, that's the the smart way to fight. So for me to say, you know, okay, fine. Let's go ahead. Let's have the gun confiscations. Send them out. Let's start it right now. Well, that's contrary to what I've said before. Well, yes and no. Because here's the thing. The government's not going to do that. They're, they know right now in the United States, the United States government knows that if they go out and they start in mass uh, grabbing people's guns, they're going to have open rebellion on their hands, and there will be no Washington government within a few weeks. It will all be over with. The military would turn on them, and, and it would be done. Because right now, at this moment in history, the gun owners in the United States, because they are so heavily supported by the military and by sheriff's departments and so forth like this, the gun owners in the, in the United States are more powerful than the government. Now, uh, don't get me wrong. You as an individual, they'll just shoot you. If you I mean, think of Ruby Ridge, think of Waco, think of situations like that. If you as an individual resist the government, they will just kill you. That's what will happen. But if they come out in mass on us and they start trying to take all the guns away from everybody in America, 
then it's going to turn really nasty for them really, really fast. So they're not going to do that. As stupid as those people in Congress are, as stupid as, as the acts of, of politicians can be, they're not that dumb. They know that what they can do is they, they put out a big fog like what they're putting out right now. They threaten to, to you know, the, to the, uh, the assault weapons ban or whatever they want to call it. They threaten with that. But they're not so dumb as to actually try to inflict it. They know better. What they'll do instead is they'll go after things like ammunition production, um, you know, little little aspects. Um, they'll go after the... Uh, the uh, what are the trade shows the uh, the gun shows the gun and knife shows they'll go after those guys and they'll close them down they'll always work on the edges but they're not going to come out tomorrow or next month or or this year or next year they're not going to come out and go door to door and start trying to take people's guns because that would cause an immediate open revolution and they'd have their own military coming down their throats that's not going to happen they had the military has to change a lot of things have to change before that's going to happen so in a sense yeah i would rather see that happen if they're going to do it let's do it now because the advantage is on our part 10 years from now it may be a different situ- a different situation so so in a sense i'm 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 not contradicting myself when i say come out do it now let's go let's get it done that wouldn't solve the problem of the beast, though. That wouldn't solve the problem of, of the state. That would, only, um, that would only collapse the current government in Washington, D.C., and that wouldn't solve the bigger problem. You know, see, in a very real sense, we need uh, those of us who hate the state deep down inside and hate the religion of the state. We need the government in D.C. to continue what it's doing, to get big and to get obnoxious and, to, and for people to be able to see what its nature really is like so that eventually they can reject it by choice and not by revolution. So, you know, in a very real way, whatever happens with the American government right now, whatever happens with the D.C. government um, is not going to affect the ultimate outcome of uh, you know of the idea of government and the concept of government that's what that's what we really have to battle that's where the real uh, that's the root of the thing that's that that's that root that I was talking about before it's not seeing how messed up the medical industry is or how messed up the government is or how messed up the banking industry is or how messed up any aspect of business it's not seeing that and it's not seeing how messed up the media is it's not in that all those things are just branches even the government itself and the and the police and you know all the bad things you think about when you think of government all of those are just branches the root of the problem is the deep down uh, idea that government is good that some people that a small group of people can live off the backs of the rest of us that they can rule us that they can make the laws and, and inflict those laws down upon us the idea that that is good, the idea that society depends on that, that's the root. That's the thing that has to die. And that's the thing that we have to strike. And how do we strike that? How do we get down and how do you kill a concept? How do you kill an idea? How do you kill a religion? You have to offer a better one. Why is there no... Why, why, why do people not believe in Zeus? Why do people not pl- believe in Odin? Why is it? Because they were offered a better religion. They were offered a religion that made more sense to them. Because you can always climb up on the hill and see Zeus is not up there. 
but you can't climb up into the sky. You can't climb into into the realm of um, of the imagination, and and prove that there's no that there's no God. You in the modern sense, the you know thinking comparing comparing modern religion with ancient uh, religions, where where they literally believed that guys sat around a table on the top of a mountain and decided the fate of humanity. The, that religion um, became outdated. And a new religion, uh, people believe the new religion. And I'm not saying, I'm not attacking Christianity or Judaism or Islam. I'm not, I'm not saying those are, are false or bad. And I'm not saying that, um, and I'm not saying anything in a pro-atheist or pro-religion way. What I'm saying is the bare fact that the modern sense of theology that is expressed in Islam and Judaism and Christianity is a far superior religion if you're just you know if you're comparing a Toyota to a to a Nissan you know if you're comparing a Chevy to a Ford if you're looking at things like that and if you look at religion in that kind of a context then the modern theologies of the of the major religions is superior to the old theologies of God sitting on a mountain or God's in the sky throwing lightning bolts it, it, the modern um, theologies are superior to the old ones, and that's why people rejected the old ones and accepted the modern ones. And if uh, it, and and that's exactly the process we have to go with in order to replace the state. We have to offer a theology that's better than the theology of the state. And where do we get that? That's where liberty comes in. That's our mission. That's the thing we have to do. We have to bring that mission to the world. Okay, stick with me. I'm going to be right back. Do you have an Amazon account? If you don't, let me encourage you to set one up. Setting up an account is free and it's easy, and Amazon has great prices, and in most cases you can avoid paying sales tax. Plus, if you're careful and lump your purchases together, you can get free shipping. And Amazon has almost anything you can think of, plus it's safer and cheaper than driving all over town. When you buy stuff, if you follow the Amazon link at badquaker.com, Amazon will give Bad Quaker a tiny portion of the purchase. It won't cost you any extra, but you'll be supporting this podcast. Thank you. And thanks for sticking with me through the commercials. So so that's what we have to do. We have to replace the old religion of the of statism with the religion of of uh if you want to call it that. I don't know that really calling it in ways, you know, we have faith that that being free would be better than being bound. We we believe this. We have evidence of it. We you know, we can experience small amounts of freedom in different things that we do, and we can judge and we can say, well, because this, you know, I like being free. I like walking on a beach on my own schedule more than sitting in a cubicle for eight hours a day. You know, so so we choose, we say, okay, so I, I do like freedom. The, as far as I can see it and what I've experienced of it, I prefer freedom to being bound. Um, you know, I don't know if, if uh, it's unfortunate for any of us who have ever had to suffer being handcuffed. But if you've ever been handcuffed, you don't have to be handcuffed for very long to realize, you know, I think I prefer not being handcuffed to being handcuffed. So, it, so it's not that hard to develop a, a, a sense of faith that if, you know, looking at the small thing, if, the, if, if being handcuffed is not good and being not handcuffed is preferable, 
then I can expand the small thing out to a bigger thing and saying, you know, if I could live my whole life and not be told what to do by other people, as long as I'm not harming anyone, as long as I'm respecting everybody else's right to be left alone, as long as I'm not aggressing on anyone else, if I'm not aggressing, and if no one's aggressing on me, that's preferable to being in a situation where I constantly have to obey other people's whims and will. So, so in a sense, that is faith. We are taking a, a step in faith, saying that a system based on non-aggression would be preferable to a system that we have now, which is based on aggression. So, in a sense, I think it's okay to call it a religion, although that may, that may scare some people away. So, for sales purposes, it's probably not good um, for, if we can put it this way, for evangelical purposes, it's probably not good to try to sell um, liberty as, as, a, uh, as a faith. And, and it's probably not good to sell, uh, you know, the, the concepts of freedom as a religion, but in many ways, if we're going to if we're going to say that the state is a religion, and I believe it is, I think we could make that argument pretty easily. You know, Larkin Rose talks about it pretty frequently, um, and makes a really good argument on it. Stefan Molyneux talks about it. The guys over at the Freedom Fiends talk about it. I th- I think all of us together have pretty much made the argument that in fact the belief in the state is a religion. Well, then in a sense the desire for freedom and the faith that more liberty is better than less, I, I think that qualifies as a religion. And that makes us religious nuts in a sense. Well, maybe, you know, maybe that's a, maybe that's a flaw of our whole process. But, you know, I'm okay with that because I, because I'm a theist anyway. I believe that there is some kind of higher power. I, so, but if I were an atheist, I would probably be offended if somebody tried to convince me that, uh, you know, that belief in liberty is is a religion. I'd probably be offended at that. So for that reason, it's probably not a good sales pitch to use in in that context. But no matter how you really want to divide up, you know, uh, the, the liberty movement and and whether or not you want to consider it as a religion or not, and a lot of people do. A lot of people have called us a cult and have said that the liberty movement is a cult. And, you know, Stefan gets picked on on that topic quite a bit. Well, I don't know if that's, I don't know, maybe. Um, But is that so terrible? I mean, there are people who have been, you know, in in a sense, the, the Amish are a cult, and there are very happy people in uh, that are Amish. A lot of people believe that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult, and yet there are a lot of people who are Jehovah's Witness who are perfectly comfortable with that. And if that's their choice and their decision to be in that, then how can a person on the outside of that judge them for it? So I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, maybe the Liberty Movement is a cult. We certainly don't have a leader. Generally, cults have you know individual personality leaders, but they don't have to. The uh, many people, that, well, like I just mentioned, the the, um, the Amish and the uh, Jehovah's Witness are often called cults, and they don't have a central leader like that. So I don't know. I don't know. That's a debatable point. I'm not sure that it's uh, all that valuable to debate it, but. But that's one of the accusations that would get thrown at us, and I'm perfectly comfortable with it. If someone wants to say that uh, the liberty movement is a cult, I would be like, okay, whatever. 
my cult's better than yours. <laughs> At least my cult doesn't uh, force itself on people, and the state does. The cult of the state does. Uh, no one in the liberty movement is going to, or, well, I should say, no one who is consistent in their understanding of liberty is going to try to use the force of government to force liberty upon people. There are people who think they're part of the liberty movement who are willing to and have tried at times to use the force of government to enforce liberty upon people. But they're confused, aren't they? If you really think about it, um, how can you do that? How can you stick a gun in someone's face and tell them, be, be free or I'll shoot you? How, how can you do that? That's... Uh, Hmm. So, getting back to what I was talking about a minute ago, it's not all that hard to see the flaws of the state. It's not all that hard to see all the branches hanging out there, you know, all the, the different interferences that, the, uh, that we see on, on so many levels. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in or where you go or what you involve yourself in, there's always something there that's dangling in, dangling in your face telling you that this aggression, um, you know, government-based aggression, the, the government using um, corporations to enrich itself and empower itself and, and corporations using government to enrich themselves and, and to, have, you know, have more and more uh, of monopoly power in, in the marketplace. We, it's not hard to see these things as being wrong, and it's not hard to see regulations distorting the market. It's not hard to see these things, um, but it's much more difficult to see past them and see the real problem, the real issue with the state that's deep down inside, that's the root of the problem. That's a little harder to grasp because it's not a physical thing. You can't go and touch the state and say, you know, this politician, you can't blame it on Obama. You can't blame it on Bush. You can't blame it on Congress. You can't. All of those things are side issues. You're missing the point altogether. It's not Nancy Pelosi's fault or it's not Dianne Feinstein's fault or it's not Harry Reid's fault or it's not. Uh, I can't remember the big shot Republicans. I can't remember any of them. Uh, none of their names come to mind at the moment or else I would have picked on them. But it's not their fault, Mitch McConnell. It's not their fault. They're just, they're just leaves on the branches of the bigger issue. And, and again, that root is the thing we can't touch. It's the thing we can't see. And we can only combat it by offering a superior choice. And you can't offer a superior choice to someone until they understand that the root actually exists. You can't offer them, you can't go to someone and show them that, you know, that Christianity or Islam or um, Judaism is superior to, you know, to, um, uh, to their belief in Thor or their belief in Odin or their belief in Zeus if they don't understand that they do believe in Zeus. And that's the real problem that we have, because the statists, the really hardcore religious statists that are out here, uh, the vast majority of them have no idea that they believe in a religious system. And so when you start to bring it to them and you start to show it to them, the, f the first issue that we have 
is in the, the actual words that we're forced to use to try to explain this process to them. Through generations, they have distorted the, the meanings of these words to the point of where any, almost anything we try to say, like if we try to say free market, well, they think free market is, is what we have now, where you know, banks are controlled by the government and where um, you know, huge industries and huge corporations are embedded with government. And they think that they, their mind goes right to that when we say free market. If we say capitalism, they think of this system that involves you know, uh, lobbyists bending Congress to make laws that go in this direction or in that direction. They imagine that that is capitalism. Why? Because they have systematically distorted these words. Even something like social security. Social security, what does that mean? Well, it's a series of thefts that the government inflicts upon working people so that they can give money to other people who are not working. And it's a giant Ponzi scheme that's been sold on the American public. But if you think about the word social security, it's nothing like what they're selling. It's nothing like what they've, what they've conned people into accepting. That's what the government does. That's what the, I should say, that's what the state does. That's what the followers of the state do. They distort the very words that we need to use to open their eyes to see that, we're, that what we're dealing with is a religious belief. So if we say, you know, if we say that we're an anarchist, well, right away, that word is distorted. If we say we're an anarcho-capitalist, uh, again, the words are distorted. If we say we're a libertarian, look up libertarian in Wikipedia, and you get this weird thing where it says, um, it says in Wikipedia that there's no consensus on the precise definition of libertarianism. There's no consensus on the precise definition of libertarianism. There's, there's a definition of socialism, if you look in Wikipedia, the, the definition for socialism is really easy to read. But then you start to read the definition of libertarianism, and you get this bizarre phrase. There's no consensus on the, on the precise definition of libertarianism. Well, how hard is this to figure out? Well, the answer is it's pretty hard, because there are so many people that are distorting what it is. You have Glenn Beck, Glenn Beck, claiming to be a libertarian. Dennis Miller claiming to be a libertarian. Come on. No wonder there's no consensus. There's, there's a reason to lie about it. Because, you know, uh, let's see, what can I compare it to? You know how there are, uh, there are knockoff products, like there are watches that are um, named uh, names that are very similar to famous watches. Or sometimes they'll even falsify and put the name and so forth of a, of a good watch onto a cheap watch and try to sell it as, a, as an expensive watch. Or they'll do this with purses or shoes or other uh, you know, um, glamour items like that. Uh, there's all kinds of knockoff products. And um, the funny thing is... Uh, you don't really see a lot of knockoff McDonald's, do you? You don't see, you don't see. Um, oh, I don't know. What are the cheapest things in society? The easiest things to get a hold of. You don't see knockoff items of those. You don't see knockoff items of bad stuff that is super available. That's really cheap. That is, you know, um, no. The imitation 
comes from the higher quality stuff. No, uh, here's a good example. This is a much better example. Let's say you're going to counterfeit something. Would you counterfeit $1 bills? Of course not. You would want to counterfeit something that's big enough that you can make money off of it, but not so big that it draws a lot of attention. So the perfect bill to counterfeit is probably a, a 20 a $20 bill. Although, if you're going to do it in large quantities, that would get a bit cumbersome, and it's probably better to, if you're doing it in large quantities. Like if you're a government that can print off lots of them, it's probably better to counterfeit hundreds. But if you're just a guy who's you know counterfeiting, probably the best bill to counterfeit would be the 20 because it's easy to get rid of, and people will take it without really looking at it. But you're not going to counterfeit a one, right? Because there's no value in it. Why would you do that? Why would you waste your time counterfeiting ones? Well, the same thing is true when you look at words like uh, libertarian and socialism. There's, there's no real reason to lie about what socialism is. As a matter of fact, people who like socialism and want to sell the idea of socialism want to give you as, as clear and concise uh, 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 an idea of what it is as possible so that you can you know, buy into their, into their uh, sales pitch for it. But libertarianism, you know, we, uh, it's the other way around. We're the ones that they want to imitate. We're the ones, you know, we got Republicans right. How many, how many libertarians are walking around calling themselves a Republican so they can get elected? There are a few. Ron Paul was like that. There are a few. But there are a lot more Republicans calling themselves libertarians to try to get the support of this small group, you know, we're told that libertarians are a very small subgroup. Subgroup. Sometimes we're told that we're only three or four percent. Really, three or four percent of the voters, but only half the people vote. How many of us really, if we don't use the word libertarian, if we don't use the word anarchist, and if you think about what I was talking about in the first part of the podcast about the per, the, the person in the medical industry who really doesn't want to get into politics and doesn't want to waste a lot of her time understanding the ins and outs of politics, but she knows that the system is horribly flawed. She doesn't want to hear about, well, it's Obama's fault or it's Bush's fault or it's, you know, she doesn't want to hear that stuff. She doesn't want even want to know it. She knows the system is flawed and she knows there's nothing she can do about it. Remember her? Well, in many ways... Now, she doesn't know all the ins and outs of, you know, of how, how roads would be built in a stateless society. She doesn't know how money would be generated in a stateless society. She doesn't know, you know, all the ins and outs, even of her own industry. She doesn't know how people would become doctors without the government. She doesn't know those things. But she almost doesn't want to know. The, the thing that she does know is the system that we have is horribly flawed. And you know what? About half the public knows that. Some of those people vote, but about half the American public don't vote because they know it's a scam. It's a waste of their time. They're not going to have any, any real change in the, in the system anyway. No matter what they do, the same crooks are going to get elected. Even if you put a different name on the crook and put a different face on him and put him up there, still a crook. They know that. So they don't vote. They don't bother going out to vote. They just... It's not that they don't care. It's that they do care. They care about their own time and their own effort. And they don't want to waste their time and effort on something that they know is not productive. Well, those people are not 
completely engulfed by the state. They're not completely engulfed by the religion of the state. Those people, in a very real sense, are just sitting there waiting for a better religion to come along. All they have to do is see it, and all we have to do is show it to them. Folks, thanks for listening to today's podcast, and remember to visit badquaker.com where liberty is our mission. Thank you very much, folks.